welcome to Mayflower Congregational Church on this snowy and blustery last Sunday of January. We're thrilled you've decided to join us for our live stream worship service. I am Reverend Ruth Bell Olson, and along with Reverend Dr. Jonathan White, we are your interim pastoral team. This morning, Dr. Julia Brown, our director of music, and Scott Bosher, our chancel choir director, and our cantor are also here this morning to lead in worship. Last Sunday, Jim Rogers, who's our church moderator, was here with us to give a very comprehensive update on church business. If you missed his announcement, please know it has been recorded and is posted on our website. Make sure to watch it if you missed it. The season of Lent is just around the corner, and we're excited about the plans we have in store. First, we'll be offering an outdoor Ash Wednesday experience. It'll be at 5 o'clock on February 17th. Also on that day, we're going to launch our church-wide Bible reading program called Immerse. We'll begin our study of the New Testament, so contact the church if you'd like to order a book or you need some more details about that. That will also be on our website. Elevate Youth Group, as well as our Christian education team, have developed some immersed programming for families and for the kids. So it'll be something that everyone in our church can participate in. Beginning on Monday, February 22nd, we'll be offering a virtual Lenten music and meditation experience called Art Song in the Atrium. To share more about this, please welcome Dr. Julia Brown. Next weekend, we will begin recording in the atrium singers from our chancel choir, uh, also featuring the new Bosendorfer piano that now lives in our atrium. And as Ruth said, on February 22nd, we will begin um, loading those onto our YouTube channel one a week. These are beautiful songs set to beautiful poetry, mostly from the 19th century. So you'll hear Schumann, Schubert, Mendelssohn, Foray, and more. Um, in addition to that, I mean, I will uh, hope that you will go and enjoy those videos that will have a reading coupled with a art song. In addition to that, uh, Scott Bosher has put together these beautiful, beautiful Lenten devotionals that add imagery and more poetry and scripture readings, all putting a sacred spin on these songs and translations of the songs because some of them will be sung in German or, the, or French. Um, and so these, uh, this will provide an additional tool to help you all go through, all of us, to go through the Lenten journey together. Thank you, Julia and Scott. And now we prepare our hearts and look forward with expectation to our worship together. Joy, my love, my heart, 
call to worship, which is from Psalm 111. Come, let us worship and praise the Lord. Let us give thanks to the Lord with whole heart. Great are the works of the Lord, studied by all who delight in them. Full of honor and majesty is God's work, and God's righteousness endures forever. Holy and awesome is the name of the Lord. psalmist writes that the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and that all of us who practice this have a good understanding. So please today grant us wisdom as we seek to grow in our knowledge of you and as we seek to experience your presence and power in our lives. Amen.
our first scripture reading this morning is from 1 Corinthians, chapter 8, verses 1 through 13. Now concerning food sacrificed to idols, we know that all of us possess knowledge. Knowledge puffs up, but love builds up. Anyone who claims to know something does not yet have the necessary knowledge. But anyone who loves God is known by him. Hence, as to the eating of food offered to idols, we know that no idol in the world really exists and that there is no God but one. Indeed, even though there may be so-called gods in heaven or on earth, as in fact there are many gods and many lords, yet for us there is one God, the Father, from whom are all things and for whom we exist, and one Lord, Jesus Christ, through whom are all things and through whom we exist. It is not everyone, however, who has this knowledge. Since some have become so accustomed to idols until now, they still think of the food they eat as food offered to an idol. And their conscience, being weak, is defiled. Food will not bring us close to God. We are no worse off if we do not eat and no better off if we do. But take care that this liberty of yours does not somehow become a stumbling block to the weak. For if others see you, who possess knowledge, eating in the temple of an idol, might they not... Since their conscience is weak, be encouraged to the point of eating food sacrificed to idols? So by your knowledge, those weak believers for whom Christ died are destroyed. But when you thus sin against members of your family and wound their conscience when it is weak, you sin against Christ. Therefore, if food is a cause of their falling, I will never eat meat so that I may not cause one of them to fall. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. scripture reading this morning is from the book of Mark, chapter 1, verses 21 through 28. They went to Capernaum, and when the Sabbath came, he entered the synagogue and taught. They were astounded at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority, and not as the scribes. Just then there was in the synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? 
I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying with a loud voice, came out of him. They were all amazed. And they kept asking one another, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. At once, his fame began to spread throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Will you pray with me? Holy One, come into our hearts now. Help us to concentrate on your will, your peace, the gift of life that you have given us, and the presence of Christ. Amen. Unlike other teachers, Jesus taught with authority. What does Mark mean by that? Mark's reference is to the way rabbis taught in synagogues. It was very common at the time of Jesus for a rabbi to get up and start citing other rabbis and their interpretation of a particular event or a particular uh, piece of scripture. After the necessary scholars had been consulted, the rabbi would give his interpretation of the other interpretations and his own feelings about that particular problem or set of scriptures. Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus cites himself. He is the authority. Now, interesting, a little play in literature, interesting, who recognizes it first? Not the people in the congregation, but the demons. Why have you come for us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? The demons recognize it. The congregation catches on, at least some of them do. Mark doesn't tell us how many. They catch on a little bit later. For unlike the rabbis, Jesus taught with authority. Now, there could be a problem with this, because is Jesus, is Jesus simply citing an opinion, or is he citing a fact? That's a problem that haunts us in this age, especially when cable news goes off on tangents or radio broadcasters start giving their point of view. A recent Pew uh, Foundation survey found that the majority of Americans can't differentiate between a fact and an opinion. It's interesting, all, all beliefs about the news aside, it, it, it's interesting, if you listen to the big cable channels when they're broadcasting news, when they're focusing on facts, it's essentially the same thing. It doesn't matter if it's MSNBC, Fox, or CNN. They're broadcasting essentially the same set of facts when they deal with news. Where they deviate is when they start presenting opinions. When they start presenting opinions, they're very different, but they're not facts. In fact, many of the opinions are absolutely absurd. But the American public is treating those opinions as if they were fact. Jesus is not citing an opinion. Jesus has had a religious experience. Mark writes about it earlier in the chapter when he has a vision of a dove coming down from heaven 
and a voice saying, You are my son, the beloved. In you I am well pleased. Jesus knows Christ. Jesus is possessed by Christ. Possessed at birth with a growing awareness, according to Luke. And that awareness has come to fruition when he begins his ministry. That's a religious fact. Is religion a human experience? Friedrich Schleiermacher would say that in 1821. Is it a God revelation experience? Karl Barth, writing against Schleiermacher in the 20th century, would say it's an outside theological experience. But whichever way it comes, it's real. A person has experienced it. And that's a fact. William James would write in Varieties of Religious Behavior, no matter what the religious experience is, it's happening. And it happened inside the Christ, inside the human and historical Jesus, fully human, fully divine, fully aware. That's why the demons recognized him. We shift to Paul. It seems like a strange combination of scriptures for the lectionary, that method of reading through the Bible, most of the Bible, every three years. Because Paul shifts off from teaching about authority to talking about dietary laws. And he says, if you eat meat sacrificed to an idol, don't worry about it, because the idol isn't real. But there will be some people who get worried about it. Let's, let's look at Corinth 2,000 years ago. It is on a tiny little land bridge between the main peninsula of Greece and the Peloponnese. It's a trading center. There's water on each side. Corinth is a cosmopolitan city. It has merchants. It has soldiers. It has all types of things that you would expect a trading center to have. And it is a hotbed of sin. It could be the Las Vegas of ancient Greece. Corinth has a nascent group of Christians who are searching for Christianity. There are no, there is no New Testament at this point. There are no confessions. In fact, at the time Paul is writing, there are not even any Gospels. The best thing that scholars can find is that people are telling stories of Jesus that will eventually become our four Gospels. This group of Christians is trying to figure out what it means to be Christian. Now, let's take one person. Let's, let's make uh, this Greek's name is Silas. And he's not really Greek. He's part of the, the Jewish diaspora. He's a merchant inside Corinth. And as he hears these stories of Jesus and meets this community, this small little Christian group, which includes Greeks, Romans, and Jews, he starts to see Jesus as the Messiah. And he leaves traditional Judaism to practice this new form of religion, followers of the way, that will eventually be called Christianity. Now, he has a friend in Corinth. 
and the friend's also a merchant, and the merchant is throwing a banquet. The merchant is a, a devout disciple of Apollo. And as his feast begins, he sacrifices a bull to Apollo, and the meat will supply the feast. We don't think of it like that. The Hebrews did the same thing, not to Apollo, but to God. Uh, if you grew up on a farm or if you were a hunter, you understand that when we eat meat, what we are doing is taking the life and energy of another living creature and transferring that energy to us. That's why we say grace. Not because we're trying to be trying to practice piety. We say it because there has been a sacrifice so that we can live. Okay, Silas is at the feast. And his buddy gives him a plate of beef. Silas is going to enjoy it. Why? Because he knows there's no God but God. Because he believes that Christ is in God and Christ is in Jesus and a spark of Christ is in Silas. So he's enjoying the beef. There's another merchant. He's Greek. We'll call him Eurotreia. And Eurotreia has also come to this banquet because it's good for business. But until recently... Eurotreia worshipped Apollo. He prayed to Apollo. He gave thanks to Apollo. He sacrificed to Apollo. But now he has come to see that it is Christ. It is God. It is a spirit that has moved him. And he joins that nascent Christian community. The host sets down a plate of meat in front of him. And he can't eat that. That's been sacrificed to a false god. His old god. He's not going to touch it. Paul is telling the people of Corinth, don't worry about it. If you're with Silas, eat the beef. If you're with Eritrea, skip it. It doesn't matter because it's Christ. And that works when we have nothing invested. But what happens... When the decision has consequences. What happens when the decision is painful? What happens when the decision is difficult? That's when our demons emerge. The everybody else does it, demon. The no one's going to really know about this, demon. The I'm with my friends and I can get away with stuff with them, demon. Or it just feels so good demon. What happens when the consequences hurt other people and we really don't want to make the decision and we're forced to? What do we do at that point? Well, Jesus is teaching with a note of authority. 
So we see we have two choices. We can go to the model of the historical Christ in Jesus, or we can go to the presence of the Christ with us today. And we try to discern. We pray. And we ask for strength to do the right thing to overcome those demons that are tempting us. That's really easy to say on Sunday morning. It's hard to do on Monday afternoon when the decisions are coming. And you're not alone. It's hard for everyone streaming this service or watching on social media. It is difficult for every last one of us, especially the biggest hypocrite in the church, the pastor. It is difficult to make those decisions. That's when it's time to look to the historical Jesus and the presence of the living Christ. That's when it's time when we learn how to be Christians. The movie's rather old now. It was made by the Paulist Fathers. It is a story based on a true story of the Archbishop of El Salvador in 1980, Oscar Romero. Romero was a priest who noticed injustice in El Salvador. He noticed an oligarchy that was perpetually wealthy and taking care of itself and a number of poor people who were left on their own. He was a product of Salvadorian history. He knew about La Matanza in the 1930s where the oligarchy had thousands of peasants slaughtered to keep social unrest from occurring. He knew about the Civil War, where the peasants again were fighting the oligarchy, and the United States was arming the oligarchs. He didn't want to be pulled into that fight, but as he was promoted through the church, as he saw the power of poverty, he felt compelled to enter the conflict. Not as a combatant, but as a priest. When he was elevated to Archbishop, he continued that struggle. That action had consequences. It would eventually cost him his life. He would be killed by members of a death squad during the Eucharist. There's a wonderful scene in that movie. It makes me think of Jesus alone in the desert being tempted. Romero has encountered, encountered the death squads. He's seen the suffering his dear friend, Father Rutulio Grande, has been killed by death squads along with a child that was in a car with Father Grande. He is absolutely devastated. He walks along this parched landscape with his hands in the air and says, I don't know what to do. Tell me what to do. He falls on his knees, looking up to heaven, 
and cries, Tell me! You must tell me! And he makes the hard decision. If Christianity were easy, everybody would do it. But Jesus calls us to be something more than we think we are. And the good news, when we're in those periods, like Abraham standing over Isaac, like Jesus on a cross, like Romero in a desert with nothing. Who is there? The living Christ. Our demons say, What do you want with me, Christ? Have you come to destroy me? I imagine the answer is, No, I've come to bless you and to fortify my child. Meat doesn't matter. The decision my child is trying to make matters immensely. And I am with you always, even to the end of the age. In the name of the Creator, the Christ, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. hard to believe we're already one month into 2021. We do not know the future, but we are called to be faithful. Thank you for being faithful stewards and supporting Mayflower during these uncertain times. Chosen the way of truth. I have set my heart on your laws. I hold fast to your statutes, O Lord my God. Let me not be
We praise you, Lord, for your provision and guidance. Please continue to go before us and order our steps. May the gifts and offerings of this church bring you glory, honor, and praise. join our hearts together for our congregational prayer. Gracious God, we bless you that you are a God who hears our prayers. We are so grateful for your Son, and it is in his name that we pray this morning. We pray for our church as we also pray for your holy church, for unity for faithfulness, for truthfulness, for vision, and for a bright future. And we pray for the congregation of Mayflower that is struggling with absence from each other and this sanctuary space. And this church is anticipating yet more change with a new leader. So we pray for the pastoral search committee and for the person you have ordained to be the next senior pastor of Mayflower. May your hand guide and may your spirit lead. We lift up to you the staff and volunteer leaders who are weary. This past year has challenged us in ways we could never have imagined. We also thank you for the faithful ones who continue to lead, volunteer, and pray. Lord, may we be people who seek your heart. Your heart, O radiant Christ. O radiant Christ, incarnate word, eternal love revealed in time, come make your home within our hearts. That we may dwell in light sublime. Our battered, busy lives burn dim. 
to child, to care, to numb, to feel. Come shine upon our shadowed world. Your radiance bathes with power to heal. O light of nations, fill the earth. Our faith and hope and love renew. Come lead the peoples to your peace as stars once led the way to you. Lord, this morning we recognize your authority and we crave your experience. Help us to discern when compromise is beneficial and when it is not. And guide us to the example of the historical Jesus and the spirit of the living Christ. May we never take you for granted, for each day is a gift. We earnestly desire to know you better and to be the kind of people that reflect your heart in the midst of a broken and hurting world. Please make yourself known in the details of our everyday lives and help us to recognize your presence. May we be people of constant prayer. And as we join together with each other far and wide, let us pray the words Jesus taught. Our Father, who is in heaven, holy is your name. May your kingdom come and may your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us today our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And please lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom, yours is the power, yours is the glory forever and ever. Amen.
We sometimes take it for granted, but there is a power. The power is not an opinion, because we have experienced it, and we can call on it when it's time to make the tough decisions. We can call when our lives are shattered. We can call whenever we want. So go with comfort. Go with peace. Go with the ability to care for yourself and care for others. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen.